little bit of a different passage. Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 3. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut asunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. And I want to preach to you this morning about treasures of darkness. Let's join together in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we're so thankful, we're honored and privileged to be in your presence today, Lord, that you've allowed us to gather together one more time in your name and your presence. And I ask you, Lord, that you would anoint my lips, anoint our ears, Lord, that you would speak to us today, God. Lord, that you would wash us and purify us with your word, Lord, that you would encourage us and lift us up today, God. Lord, that your word would transform us today, God, that we would leave here different than the way we came in. We give you honor and praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. <laughs> Treasures of darkness. Throughout the New Testament, we see a stark contrast is given between light and darkness. John gives us the comparison several places in his writings. He's the, the writer that uses this comparison the most, that light is a representation of Jesus or righteousness or what is good. And darkness represents sin and evil, the world. We find many other references throughout the New Testament writings that give us this analogy, this idea in its simplest form, if I can say it this way, that darkness is bad and light is good, good and bad. One is sin and the other righteousness. One is Jesus, the other Satan. And we understand that we have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. I'm glad that one day Jesus looked down in the darkness of my life and he shone his light down into my life. I'm glad that I can stand here today called out of darkness and called into his marvelous light. We understand that we once walked in darkness, but now we walk in the glory of his light. And if on Wednesday nights we've been hearing what it means to walk in the light and not be of this world, and if you've missed it, you need to listen on the website to the podcast. And that comparison has been made that we are a light in this dark world. We realize that the darkness once had a hold over us, that the kingdom of darkness had us in its grip, but now we have been translated and transformed into His kingdom where He is the light, where His glory is the light. What an amazing kingdom that needs no electricity, that needs no power source except for Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And His glory is the light and it shines down in you and I today. That you and I are lit today by the glory of God. And we also know that, that as Jesus was in the world as he was a light in this world so now we are called to be a light into this world that this world is represented as being a dark place and that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are called to be the light within the world we are not taken out of the world but we are set on fire by Jesus Christ and sent back into the world to shed light upon others just as he was sent to be the light so are you and I called to be a light in this dark world. And that gets more and more challenging every 
today, but we are called to be lights for Jesus Christ in this world. Knowing all of this, I came across this passage in Isaiah, and it caused me to stop. Because darkness is bad, and light is good. And I read these verses, and, and, and something struck me, because in this passage it says there's treasures of darkness. I know that Jesus is the light, and that I should walk in the light, that I should make the light my habit, that I should be a light, and yet this verse speaks of treasures of darkness, which in my mindset of light is good and dark is bad, suddenly means that there's something good in the bad, or is there good in sin, or what is this treasure that Isaiah is talking about? It seemed a little strange. In the Old Testament, we find in the New Testament, we have the, the light and dark, the, the good and bad. But in the Old Testament, we find that there's a, a, a different, a slightly different and an interesting dynamic when it comes to God and darkness that I believe can add to our understanding. In the New Testament, we see that comparison is made and that they are in opposition just as sin and righteousness are opposed and will always be opposed. And this message by no means cuts into that whatsoever. In the Old Testament, the lines are not defined quite the same way of, as dark being bad and light being good. It does not remove what the New Testament states about it, but I think we can gather something to add to Scripture to what we know. In the Old Testament, this opposition of God in darkness is not there. Again, this is not talking about sin and righteousness because God is always opposed to sin and unrighteousness. He's always been opposed and He always will be opposed. But while you and I seem to have a natural aversion to darkness, while we don't want the dark places, and while we are encouraged to not be in the darkness that we know as sin, it seems like darkness was a natural part of the course for God in the Old Testament. In fact, we find many instances where God and darkness are found in the same parentheses, and they are not in opposition to one another. And it's in these instances that I believe that we can discover something about God and what He wants to do in our lives. The first thing that I want to point out to you about God in darkness is that God is comfortable in the darkness. Or if I could say it another way, God's not scared of the dark. He's not scared of the dark. Statistics say that, all, that it could be as high as almost 40% of the population is afraid of the dark or at least afraid to walk through their house without lights on. And I've talked many times about the scariest place to walk in the dark is through the church sanctuary in the dark. After they've talked about the ghosts and the holy and devils and demons and then someone forgets to turn the platform lights off and you've got to walk all the way through there in the dark. <laughs> but I want to remind you that God is not scared of the dark. In fact, God knows what darkness looks like. God knows what darkness feels like. We find many Old Testament verses that reference darkness being associated not just with God, but in fact associated with His dwelling place. In Psalms chapter 18 it says, He made darkness His secret place. His pavilion round about Him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Skipping a few verses, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And here's the verse we all like, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. But before there was running, before there was leaping, there was a person in darkness. And in that darkness, God was with him. 
This chapter starts out with David telling that he says that God is my rock and my salvation. And then he goes on to say about all the bad stuff that's happening. He says he's been surrounded by his enemies. He talks about the sorrows of death. In fact, he says hell itself is surrounding him. If you would, he is encompassed and surrounded by darkness on every side. And then he says God comes in. And God didn't come in just quite like I thought. He didn't come in in a bright light. He didn't come in with a fire, but he came in darkness and thunderings and clouds. And in fact, the crazy thing is, is David's darkness almost seemed a little bit darker once God came in. But we find in the verses following, he says, In the darkness, God, you will light my candle. You will enlighten my darkness. God is not afraid of the darkness in your life. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 11, it's recounting how the Lord visited the Israelites on Mount Sinai. And it says, And ye came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. You see, it's not that God is surrounding himself in evil. No, God is not afraid of the dark. God is not afraid of your circumstances. God is not afraid of the depth that you may have fallen to. Psalms chapter 97 says, Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. So we see clouds and darkness are equated with righteousness and judgment. Although I don't like to see darkness in my life. Although I don't like to see the clouds in my life. That doesn't mean that righteousness has forsaken me. That doesn't mean that the Lord has forsaken me. In fact, it might mean that I'm closer to his throne than I ever realized in my life. And while I'm bemoaning the fact that circumstances have encompassed me... I might be sitting right next to the very throne of God in my life. In fact, we find his home is being described as a dark place throughout the Old Testament that he dwells in darkness. We find many instances where God showed up in thunderings, not in the light. Where he showed up in clouds, in darkness, and and he shows up in a scary way. But I want to remind you that he is not afraid of the dark. He does not need the light. In fact, in Psalms chapter 31, he says, my times are in thy hand. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter if it's light, and it doesn't matter if If it's dark, I'm still in God's hands. And I want to tell you in your circumstance, it doesn't matter if it's good times or bad times. My times, whether it's light or dark, are in His hands. Your darkness does not scare him whatsoever. I'm thankful that God looked down on my life and the darkness of my life didn't scare him. But he was brave enough to reach into my life. He was brave enough to reach into your life and pull you up out of the darkness. That he was able to pull you up out of the pit because he wasn't afraid of the darkness in your life. Now let me put the New Testament comparison on this of light and dark back into this here. Your sin doesn't scare him either. While God is always opposed to to skin, he's opposed to skin. Don't get sunburned. (laughs) Your sin doesn't scare God. While he's opposed to it, he's not afraid of your sin. I'm thankful for that. While God is not comfortable with it, He is not scared or threatened by your sin. In fact, Romans chapter 5 tells us, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded. God did not flee. He didn't say it's too much. He didn't say they're too far gone. He didn't say it's too dark. No, His grace abounded much more in your life. 
His grace abounded so much more. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care the depths to which you've gone. I don't care if you think your life is as dark as dark can be. His grace is there in your life. It can't get too dark for God. He's never scared of the dark. You see, understand, sometimes we like to disassociate it. And we think, well, His grace is there. But you can't disassociate His grace from Himself. And so wherever His grace is, God is there as well. And so it's not like He's just saying, well, that's too much. I'll send some grace in there. No, He'll come right alongside you. He'll come down to the pit. He'll come down to the point of despair. He's not afraid to get dirty in your life. He's not scared of anything in your life. I challenge you today, if you think you're too far gone, if you think your life is too full of darkness I want to remind you that there's no darkness that scares God that there's no depth that you can go to that will scare God away from you God's not afraid of the darkness in your life I wonder if we can praise him right now I'm thankful that he wasn't afraid in my life I'm thankful that he reached down into my life we find from the very beginning of scripture that God deals with both light and darkness, and in fact, they coexist. Genesis chapter 1, 1 and verse 2. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now there's a whole lot of speculation that can go into what's taking place here about dinosaurs and all this kind of stuff. We're just going to focus on the darkness for right now. Some, some feel that Lucifer, when Lucifer fell, that before he fell, he was, he was the, the, the angel of worship, that he was in charge of all that, that he was adorned in jewels and, and items that would reflect light, which uh, is the glory of God throughout heaven. But we read in these verses that this is not talking about heaven, this is talking about the earth. They do not describe God's dwelling place and what it looked like, but we get a view of earth or pre-earth, if you will. And we find that two things pre-existed. There was God and there was darkness. Before God ever spoke a creative word, there was darkness. In fact, Scripture implies that there was no creation of darkness. That's just what is when there's nothing there. I think it's important to look at these verses because they form a basis for how God deals with the darkness. And we find some interesting things happening in the darkness. These verses tell us that God was not hindered by the darkness whatsoever. They coexisted together. It was not that He could not come against the evil that darkness represented. No, there just was darkness and a pre-existent God. And we find something very interesting that this verse tells us. Verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God moved in the darkness. And the first, that what we can establish is that God's not afraid of the dark. And the second thing is that God is able to create in darkness. He's able to create in darkness. <laughs> we know just a few verses later that God takes the light and the darkness and He separates them and makes day and night. But we read in these verses, this is how He began His creation process. And He began creation in the dark. And these verses demonstrate to us that even though light and dark are separated, God is not bound by those boundaries of light and dark. He's not bound by time. So while there's a delineation in our world within our thinking, there is none in God's time frame. The darkness doesn't scare God. And let me tell you, the darkness can't stop God either. While you think you're in the middle of the darkest situation, I want to remind you that he's there. He's not scared. And let me just tell you, because 
sometimes my thinking is just a little off, a lot of times. And I know he works all things together for good. I know all that stuff. But here's how sometimes I view it. Here's me in my bad situation, and I know he's with me and stuff, and I know I've got to work through it, and when I come out, he's there, and he's going to take all that happened there and fix it all right here. Darkness doesn't hinder God. <laughs> you see, because what this scripture really tells me is that in the middle of the darkness... He's not waiting for me to get out. But in the middle of the darkness, the Spirit of God moved. I'm here to tell you today that the Spirit of God can move right now in the middle of your darkest situation. The Spirit of God is not waiting for you to get out. No, it will move right now if you let it move. The problem is, and this is going to be profound, you can't see in the dark. All the kids are saying, but I ate my carrots. You can't see in the dark. And that's the problem. The problem is, is because it's dark, you don't think anything's happening. Because it's dark, because there is no light, you don't know that God's creating. Because it's dark. But I'm here to encourage you today that just because you don't see the light doesn't mean that His Spirit is not moving in the darkness of your situation. In fact, I would challenge you that if you have given the situation to God, despite the fact there may be no light, despite the fact He's not spoke the creative word, despite all of that, despite it seems like you're still in the middle, if you've given it to Him, His Spirit is moving despite the fact that you can't see it. So I'm going to trust that God can create in the darkness. Not just that He's not scared of it, but He can do something in the middle of my darkness in the middle of my darkest situation God can create when I think there's no healing God can be healing when I think he's not saving he might be saving when I think he's not restoring he might just be restoring when I think there's no deliverance he might be right in the middle of deliverance come on let's praise him right now God wants to do something in your life and you need to realize that God may already be doing something in your life. So I'm not just praising Him in advance for something. No, I'm praising for His Spirit that moves in the darkness. That God, I may not see. I may not understand. I may not even have had the Word go forth. But Your Spirit can do a work in the middle of my situation. We get in the middle of the situation and because we can't see, we can't tell up from down and we can't tell which way is right and which way is wrong and, and we haven't felt His Word go forth and we know that when His Word goes, goes forth, Genesis tells us something happens. And we begin to discount what the Spirit of God may be doing in, your, in our lives. But I want to challenge you that the Spirit of God is moving in your life. And it's moving in preparation for the Word that is about to be spoken into your life and into your situation. Before the Word of God could do its work, the Spirit had to move upon the face of the deep. It had to move in the darkness. And let me tell you, maybe the reason you're not getting the words you need is because you're quenching the Spirit that wants to move in your darkness. 
You discount the things. You discount that God can do anything. You discount. You, you let despair and you let bitterness and you let heartache take its place. And the Spirit's just wanting to do a work in your life in preparation for the Word that's coming. I'm challenging you today to turn it over to Him again. To say, Lord, I give you this situation. I give you this circumstance. I give you this person. And Lord, I believe that your Spirit is going to do something. Just because it's dark doesn't mean he can't still create. We begin to think this is how it's always been and so this is how it's always going to be. It's always been dark. It always will be dark. Things won't ever change. I'm here to challenge you. Why don't you let God decide what he can and he can't do in your life? Why don't you let him decide? My job is simply to be a vessel. Lord, let your spirit move within me. And if you do it, that's fine. If you don't do it, that's fine. But Lord, I need your spirit to move in my life. We know the psalmist wrote, the, uh, many people in here could quote it, Psalms chapter 30, For his anger endureth but for a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And we take encouragement from the fact that our trials won't last forever, but they will come an end. We take encouragement from the fact that the morning will come and there's rejoicing with it. But I want to encourage you even further today with this idea, just because it's still night doesn't mean he isn't working. Just because it's still night doesn't mean you can rejoice let me tell you in fact he does some of his best work in the dark he does some of his best work when you don't think he's doing anything and I look back over my life and I begin to see yes he was working yes he was doing something I didn't see it but that was some of his best work he did just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God can do it Just because I can't see it doesn't affect who he is and what he can do. When you can't find your way out, it doesn't affect his ability to make a way out. Let me tell you that you can rejoice in the dark because his spirit still moves in the dark. God still works in the darkest of situations. He's not afraid of the dark and God still works in the dark. And I want to challenge you today to let those sink into your spirit. Let them sink into your soul. That you know what? I'm not too far gone. My situation's not too bad to scare God off. And let me encourage you. Let it be an encouragement that even though you don't see anything, God can still work in the darkness. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Perhaps it's my careful nature probably is careful to say I'm prophesying to someone this morning so I'll simply just say it's hanging out there if you want it it's hanging out there if you want it God's working in your darkness he's working in your darkness I'm here just to encourage you don't give up don't lose hope I know it's still night. I know it's been night for a while, but that doesn't mean God's not moving. He's not doing something. Hallelujah. The third and last thing. He's not scared of the dark. The dark doesn't hinder God's creative ability. The third thing is, God knows where the treasure is, even the treasures of darkness. Isaiah 45 and verse 3, we read it already. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. These verses we read in Isaiah are really some of the most amazing prophetic verses in Scripture. 
Because, see, in these verses, Isaiah mentions Cyrus and what's going to happen when Cyrus, uh, the, the Lord's anointed, does his work. The amazing thing is not that he named Cyrus and not all this, but that he did it 200 years before Cyrus, this incident ever occurred. There was nobody called Cyrus when he made this prophecy. He didn't speak in general terms and say at some point, no, he named the actual person who would do the work that God had called him to do. Verse 43 tells us that he does all this so that we'll know for sure that he's God. Perhaps the reason you're still in darkness is not because of the lack of your faith. Perhaps it's not because God no longer cares, but simply because God wants to make sure he gets the glory. So that you can say, as the song we sang said, because of Jesus. You know, there's things in my life when I, I have, just to be honest with you, sometimes I think it was just my own ability. Other people say it's a miracle, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I had a lot to do with it. It was my skills. My skills. I know it's by the grace of God, but by His grace I had the skills. But he says in this verse, he wants to make sure that we know that it's God that did it. And there's moments in all of our lives when we can look and say, I don't know how. I don't know why. There's no logical reason. The only thing I can say is because of Jesus. The only reason that I'm here today is because of God. But these verses describe for us, before it even happened, what would take place in Babylon. You see, it was Babylon's habit that when they captured a city or a nation, they would plunder it. They would take all of its treasures and they would take them back to Babylon. At some point, after conquering so many nations, at a certain point, it became difficult for Babylon to display all of the treasures that they had, everything they had accumulated. And then there was also the fear of another nation seeing all their treasure and trying to come in and steal it. So they developed an underground storage system. Remember, Isaiah's prophesying this before it ever happens. He prophesies that there would be an underground storage system. Some historians say that this treasure storage was under the Euphrates River itself. And that that's where Cyrus's men discovered it, under the Euphrates. We're not sure exactly where the treasures of darkness were hidden. But this is the treasures that it was referring to. Buried treasure, if you will. Wherever it was, we know that it was not in a place that was easy to find or easy to get to. Or else it wouldn't have been treasures of darkness. While Babylon did use some of the treasure captured from the temple in Jerusalem, we, we know from Scripture that they used some of it. I'm sure that they didn't use all of it and that some of it probably found its way into these underground storage centers. In fact, very often what you saw in Babylon was just a minuscule portion of the wealth that was buried right beneath people's feet. Those that were taken captive from Israel, it's, it's kind of amazing to think about. They had no idea where the treasure was. In fact, they may have even walked right over it, never knowing that the treasure of the temple was under their feet. They may have crossed the river Euphrates, never knowing that they were crossing the temple treasure. And there has remained, this uh, treasure is buried until the prophecy of Isaiah, of Isaiah was fulfilled as King Cyrus comes in and they find the treasure. And it's in this prophecy of Isaiah that we find our last strength and our last encouragement if the musicians want to come. He's not afraid of the dark. He's comfortable with darkness, even in your darkest moment. The darkness doesn't hinder his power to move, 
doesn't hinder his power to perform or create. No one else can cross the boundaries of light and dark like he can. And let me remind you this morning that no one else knows where the enemy has hidden the treasure like God does. I'm here to remind you this morning that no how, how much the enemy has tried to hide his treasures. No matter how deep the treasure may be hidden, God still knows where the treasures of darkness are in our lives. In fact, let's go a step further. Not only does he know where they are, let me remind you that they're still his. Just because they're hidden by the enemy doesn't mean he doesn't know where they are and that they're no longer his. There's a song we used to sing that said, going to the enemy's camp, take back what he stole from me. Going to the enemy's camp. Remind you, even though it may be in the enemy's camp, it's not the enemy's. Martin Luther, the reformer, once said, he said this, even the devil is God's devil. You see, while I'm thinking of this light and dark, and here's God and here's the devil and they're in opposition, that's completely wrong. There's the devil, and then everywhere else is God. There is no opposition. So it doesn't matter what's the, what the devil's taken, what treasure you may think the devil's taken from you. Let me remind you this morning that not only is it the Lord's, but he knows exactly where it's hidden. The enemy tries its best, and the enemy would love to convince you that it has your stuff. It would love to remind you of all the things that it's taken from you. It, it wants to tell you that I've buried in a place you'll never find it. That it's lost to the darkness. There's no way that you'll ever get this treasure back. But I want to remind you the treasure is and always will be God's. The devil has no dominion over God's treasure. And he can't destroy it. And let me remind you that God can restore any treasure back to whoever he wants it to go to. What are the treasures of darkness? What are they? Man, God wants to do something in your life today. Here's what treasures of darkness look like. It looks like a marriage that's buried, dead, hidden by the enemy. Darkness has overcome it. There's no hope. It's gone. But God knows where the treasure is. It seems like the enemy's taken a marriage that vows were once vowed in an altar of cherishing and loving, but now it's buried under resentment and bitterness and discontent. And the enemy's done its best to, to cover it with those things. And he's piled resentments on again and again. And there's slights buried on. And there's unfairness buried on. But I want to remind you this morning that God knows where the treasure is. That if he wants to restore a marriage, he can restore a marriage. It was never the devil's marriage to begin with. It was always God's. And it doesn't matter how much resentment, it doesn't matter how much bitterness, how much discontent the enemy tries to put on top of it. God knows where the secret treasures are. He knows where the treasures of darkness are. And he can reach into any situation, any marriage, and pull it back out. 
There's people here that your ministry that seemed once promising has been lost to shame or guilt or mistakes. It seems like darkness has possibly even taken over your very calling. I've made one too many mistakes. First of all, let me remind you, he's not afraid of the dark. The enemy convinces you you've done too much. You might still be able to be saved, but the rest of that, there's no hope. Let me remind you, it was never the devil's calling to begin with. It was God's. It's His treasure. And He knows where your calling's buried. He knows where that ministry is buried. And He can reach through all the mistakes, all the guilt, all the shame. And somehow He can pull it out. And you know what? Here's the miraculous thing. It's still a treasure. It may be buried, but it's still a treasure. God wants to challenge somebody today. He wants to remind you that He knows where the treasure is buried. I'm here to remind someone that you may feel like you've lost years to the darkness. That the enemy, it's a familiar path as you begin to think about what could have been. As he piles regrets upon your life. I know that. I know what it's like to have regrets in your life. Or as the unfortunate person that had regrets tattooed on his arm. I know what it's like to wonder if only I hadn't. If only I hadn't wasted time. If only I hadn't wasted years. If only I hadn't wasted prayers. If only I hadn't wasted this stuff in my life. Where could I be? What could God do with me? Where could my family be? And the enemy would like nothing more to keep shoveling regrets upon. And if, I, if I'm not careful before long, that treasure that was once there becomes buried. But I'm here to remind you that beneath all the regrets, that treasure was never the devil's to begin with. And God can pull anyone through regret. God can pull anyone through wasted years and wasted time and wasted energy. The devil would like nothing more than you to think it's buried, it's gone, it's lost. And I know it may be different. I know it may not work out just the way. But if it's God's treasure, He'll make it a treasure again. He'll find a way to make it right. He'll take back the years that you wasted and somehow He can restore them to you. I'm here to remind people that although your children, your spouse, your family may seem to be buried by the darkness of life and sin and circumstances. It seems like they may never be found, although you've got promises back there somewhere. I just want to remind you, although it seems like they're buried by the enemy, they were never the enemies to begin with. They always were and they always have been God's treasure. And despite how far they may be buried... God knows exactly where they are right now. He's the God of those treasures. And they've never been lost from His sight. Israel never expected that their treasure would be recovered by a foreign king. 
If they could erode the plan, they never would have gone into captivity. They never would have had their treasure discovered by a foreign king. But I want to tell you this morning and encourage you, it might not happen like you think. The ministry might not be restored how you think. The marriage may not be restored how you thought it would be. Your kid may not come back. Your spouse may not come back the way you thought. But I want to remind you that it's his treasure. So he can bring it to light however he wants. You may want nothing more than to come up and walk up front with your backslid child and pray him through to the altar one more time. But God may have a different plan. I just need to trust that he still knows about the treasure. I may not have the ministry that I, I felt at one point in my life. I may not be the missionary I thought I'd be or the preacher I thought I'd be or the teacher I thought I'd be because circumstances are changed. And I can use those as arguments. But you know what I need to do instead? I need to trust that it's His treasure. And He called me and He can do it. I'm challenging you this morning to put whatever you think is that buried treasure. Simply say, Lord, you know where it is again. We need to grab a hold of the promise of verse 2 of Isaiah 45 says this, I'll go before thee. I'm going to make the crooked places straight. Aren't you glad you don't have to do it? He said, I'll make the crooked places straight. All the, all the ways that it seems impossible for it to happen, I'll make them all straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of brass. I'll cut in sunder the bars of iron. I want to give you this promise this morning if you want it. He's going to make the crooked places straight for you. He's going to break the things that we feel are in our path. He's going to tear them apart. And I want to tell you that He can begin that work today in your life. He can begin to break the bitterness. He can begin to break the pain, the regrets, the chains of darkness, the helplessness. He can begin to break it today in your life. And while I appreciate I'm thankful for every treasure that I see here today. I want to remind you too that there's more treasures in this city. They may seem buried in the prison or they may seem buried under drugs or alcohol or abuse or any number of things, but I'm here to remind you that this city, although the devil may seem to have a hold, it's never was the devil's city. It was always God's city. It's never been the devil's person. It's always been God's person. I'm here to challenge you. Don't give up. Don't give up being a light because people are looking for something. They were always God's. As we stand this morning, let's stand this morning. It's not a message of condemnation. I don't even know if it's a message of conviction. But it's a message of encouragement and hope. There's people in this place that you thought things were long gone. You thought there was no way. And I may not even have mentioned what it is that you're struggling with, that you're dealing with. It could be family issues. It could, it could be any number of things. But I'm here simply to remind you, first of all, 
it never was the devil's to begin with. And second of all, since it wasn't the devil's to begin with, God knows exactly where it's at. And if I simply place it in his hands, there's no telling what he can do. He's not afraid of your darkness. If you stand in this place today feeling condemned, feeling that you're far from God, I would venture to say he's probably pretty close. A lot closer than you think. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I would encourage somebody today that you've been praying. You've been praying for the situation, for the person. And it just seems like darkness is all there is. Prayers and darkness. Maybe today you just need a fresh encouragement. That you know what, despite the fact it's dark, doesn't mean that God's hindered. It doesn't mean that He's not moving. And in fact, I'm just going to thank Him for going ahead and moving in my situation. For going ahead and moving in my darkness. I know I can't see it. I know I may not even be able to feel it, see anything happening. But Lord, I know you're moving in the darkness. Perhaps you need to come up here and realize God's got the treasure map the whole time. He knows exactly what it is that you think you've lost, that the enemy's taken from you. Let me remind you that God has the treasures of darkness. We're going to pray and this altar's open this morning. I feel very strongly, like I said, if you, if you want to claim a promise this morning, if you want to claim something from the Lord, it's in this place today. Perhaps I should be more spiritual and just call you out, but I don't feel that. But I'm just issuing the challenge to you. If you want to grab a hold of it, it's here. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now.